Welcome to the You Have a Body podcast. Two broads talking broadly about health. The physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual, and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. Welcome to You Have a Body Podcast, episode 67, Autoimmunity. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Uh, hey, everybody. What's up? I'm one of your hosts, Hannah Whitevin, owner of Silicon Fitness. And I'm your other host, Lucia Holly, nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of EssentialOmnivore.com. Whoop, whoop. Doot, doot. Uh, we're sitting at the world's most awkward table. It's like it's too tall and too, sh- and too, too short. Too sl- yeah. Is that. It, and too short lengthwise. And thin. And thin. It's like yeah. working on a pencil that's yeah. propped up by toothpicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sitting, I have, I've created myself a booster seat with two blankets because I, I'm too short to get to the mic. Yeah, I'm, I'm tall enough, but I actually had to move my mat, my mic down, which has never had to be a consideration yeah. before. Yeah, mine's at the, at the bottom of its possibilities. <laughs> so it's a whole new world here. A whole new world. <laughs> so welcome to the ep. It's episode 67, which is crazy. Yeah. And it's also the week after Halloween. Also crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Hope your Halloween was spooky. How was yours, Hannah? It was spooky. <laughs> um, on Saturday night, I had, I had a little spooky stories night. Uh huh. We we did a spooky stories contest, although we Ooh. never declared a winner. So. That's the most horrifying part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Very spooky. But everyone had to write their own story. Oh. Okay. And tell it. And mine was. I think pretty scary. Yeah. It was long. It was scary long. Uh-huh. It was 10 pages <laughs> long. Ooh, what a ghoul. Yeah. And everyone wrote one. I was really proud of everybody. Aww. Yeah. Well, maybe everyone was winners. Mm-hmm. Maybe the ghost in the room was the winner. That's true. Yeah. Because yeah. you know that they came out to listen to the scary stories. As but, they do. Well, we were outside around the fire. Ooh, which you. was warm, but then I stood up and my butt was frozen because it's like 30 degrees yeah. in the end of October rude we have right. we got no fall it's just straight to winter well you know at least we didn't get that blizzard that everyone likes to remember from the early 90s yeah 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 it was just 91 blizzard blah 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 <laughs> it was just real cold yeah so uh, we just handed out candy and I wore a vampire costume and scared the children perfect and my neighbors had like a party mm-hmm down the street they had they blocked off the whole block and had like apple cider and games and like haunted houses and so a lot of kids didn't make it up to my block yeah (laughs) because the party was down there it sounds like it got pretty lit yeah it did so i don't know next year i'm thinking we're gonna have to do something to get more people to come to our house get it bigger and better Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like someone suggested we someone said that their family does a halloweeny roast every year Oh my god! And I'm like, that's a great idea. Yeah. We'll make hot dogs, uh-huh. and we'll feed the whole neighborhood. Call them like witches' fingers. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. I don't know. That's gross. Well, it's Halloween. Yeah, but uh, so that would be good. Maybe we'll get more people that way. Yeah. I just want to join in the neighborhood fun. Yeah. But my my block, like our street is great, but my block is like lame. The quiet about Halloween. 
Yeah, like, they're only the people across the street do, like, this cool green glowing graveyard thing. Mm-hmm. But everybody else on the block besides us, like, doesn't decorate at all. Oh. Well, you got to be the trendsetter. I guess. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know how to convince them to be part of it next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halloween-y roast. Yeah. They're just the smell mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. <laughs> It'll do it. Enchant them. Come get your hot dogs. Yum. Hot dogs always. Yeah. How win. was your How was your Halloweeny? Halloweeny was good. Um, it was pretty low key and quiet for me as it usually is. But the day before, it was my grandma's ninety third or ninety second. I keep saying ninety third, ninety second birthday. Dang. Um. So we celebrated that. So it was kind of funny. We all walked off that Monday. So having like a party in the middle of the day on a Monday. Well, when you're ninety two. I know. You know, party's got to be at, like, noon. Yeah, exactly. So it was really great. There were a lot of people that um, showed up. It was very sweet. I mean, damn, that is old. It is old. She is a trooper. She Is there any <laughs> secrets? Does she, like, eat really well, exercise all the time, take care of herself, or is she just whatever? She's just survived. Nope, nope. Number one challenge is trying to get her to drink more water because she drinks none. <laughs> none? We're all flabbergasted. You know, she's had... um. I think stress, definitely. She's had not a super stressful life uh-huh. in lots of different ways. So I think that's big. Yeah. yeah. So she's just been chilling. Yeah, she's been able to chill. That's good. Yeah. So what that, do you mean she doesn't drink any water? So, you know, I've talked about this a couple times this week with, like, just some people who are at the party and other people who are there who are taking care of their elderly relatives. It's not uncommon, it's actually pretty typical and normal for people as they age to start to lose their ability to kind of tune into their thirst mechanism. Interesting. Yes. Um, And sometimes, especially for people who are maybe a little bit more compromised or just have different abilities as they age, it can actually be difficult to swallow water. Um, So I worked briefly in a nursing home, and for some people, when they were drinking water, we had to add something to the water to make it thicker and more viscous so they could swallow it without choking. Um, so that can be a consideration for some people, but a lot of people, they just lose that sense of knowing, oh, I'm thirsty, I should drink water. So they can go Whoa. a whole day without drinking very much water. Or it's like someone is telling them, here you go. That's <laughs> Here's your cup of water for the day, please drink it. Because it's so integral. It's the biggest foundation, even yeah. before food, is staying hydrated. Um, so there was someone I was talking to at the party who said that she was amazed that her older relative's doctor said the biggest thing you can do for this relative is be on top of them so that they're drinking three cups of water a day. Like, that's the biggest that thing much. you can do for their health, which is saying something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had three cups of water, like, for breakfast. Right. It's not, you know, even people who kind of, who are younger in years, if they're not drinking a lot of water, often it's still, like, at least 30 ounces. Mm-hmm. There can be, like, no water or only water coming in from, like, actually foods that they're eating. But if you couple that, I think this stuff is so interesting. If you couple that with also the fact that a lot of elderly people start to crave more hyperpalatable foods and they don't really crave vegetables or kind of proteins or fats, and really they're craving more sweets or really, really salty foods, that can be even more dehydrating. Yeah. It's like a double whammy. Wait a second. Is your body just trying to kill you at that age? Like, get it over with. Here. It, it No. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> My God. <laughs> well, why the heck would you start to crave all that? You're, I mean, your body's losing resources. And it's mm. losing faculties. So I think it can kind of snowball. Mm. Yeah. 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 Terrible. Right? 
Ah, death. It's a part of life. It is. <laughs> Scary. So yeah. practice drinking your water. Practice getting up off of the floor without your hands. That's like a big indicator for health too. Right. Right? Yes. And then practice eating vegetables. Yeah, like <laughs> if you can cross your legs and sit down and then stand back up. Yeah. I think that's so cool. That's now like, that we're talking about water, I gotta I gotta drink. <laughs> I know. Me too. Now I'm so thirsty. I, don't, I only have this empty cup next to me. We'll fill it up. With paper in it. Yeah. That's hydrating. Okay, so today's topic, autoimmunity. We have touched it as we do with so many different subjects. We've definitely talked about autoimmune conditions before. All the time. But the thing about autoimmunity, at least once you get into kind of like the nitty gritty, is that it's actually a huge subject. Um, so I think we wanted to dedicate a little bit of time to actually giving it more of its due and saying, yes. hey, let's actually hit on some different highlighted parts of what autoimmunity actually is. Yeah. What so, does it mean? So I'll, I'll define it right now. So autoimmunity is when the body can no longer tell the difference between healthy tissue and non-tissue, such as an invader from the outside. And a major hypersensitive reaction occurs which then therefore leads us to a situation where the body begins to attack its own tissue. Mm-hmm. So it no longer is able to differentiate between its tissue being part of itself um, and it sees it as a foreign invader that it needs to attack. So this can occur or this can over time lead to the development of a diagnosable autoimmune disease after long enough with the self-attack occurring. Okay, so it can, again, I keep saying snowball, it can snowball. Yeah. Um, and someone might have some autoimmune considerations, but they're not really noticing symptoms or symptoms are very mild. And if that isn't kind of recognized and some pieces aren't put into place to start to address that, then over time, that could, for some people, lead into more of a true autoimmune disease. So there are over 85 autoimmune conditions. That's crazy. Currently, because what's so, and more are going to be discovered. Because what's interesting about autoimmune, it's this umbrella term, you, your body can attack any tissue, right? right? So right. think of all the different types of tissues that we have in our bodies. Yeah. There are over 85 types. So there you go. There you go. So um, I'm going to list off some autoimmune conditions, but I was curious, maybe Hannah, I always like to challenge you. or just going to list them? Yeah. MS. Which stands for? Multiple sclerosis. Yep. Rheumatoid arthritis. Yep. Ulcerative colitis. Yep. Crohn's. Yep. Uh, Hashimoto's. Yes. Um, diabetes. Type 1. Type 1. Yep. That's great. That's uh, awesome. Okay. That's, those are like the biggies. Those are most oh. of the ones that I had on my list. Oh. Try it. Oh, oh, shoot. What's it called? Oh, dang it. It's gone. Okay. Lupus? <laughs> oh, lupus. Sure. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, booyah, you listed off, I, I think I have one, two, three, four, five, I have like ten, you listed off most of them, kind of the really well-known ones. What are some other ones? Um, so, lupus, like I mentioned, Graves' disease. The Graves! Lupus, That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Okay. Dang it. Let me go back and kind of talk about the different tissues that are being attacked. So, okay. with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, your thyroid is being attacked. It's being attacked, and the cells, the thyroid cells are being destroyed, and these thyroid cells are the ones that create thyroid hormones. Therefore, people can be feeling symptoms of an imbalance, especially in their energy mechanisms, because our thyroid organ is really in charge of how we regulate energy. So um, I'm someone who has Hashimoto's, so you can feel a difference. Sometimes with Hashimoto's, people can flip between feeling hypothyroid 
hypothyroid, so sluggish, cold, weight gain, and hyperthyroid, where you're feeling like weight loss, your eyes can be bugging out, mm-hmm. feeling like you're kind of zipping along, and that's because of the fluctuations in that attack on the thyroid. Rheumatoid arthritis, the lining of the joints is being attacked. In lupus, it's a little bit more systemic, so joints, lungs, blood cells, nerves, and kidneys mm, can all be lot. under attack. can be really um, systemic and pretty intense. Ulcerative colitis, and we had our producer Tajan, who was talking about UC, so if you want, go hop over to the episode that has her name, she can talk a little bit more about that in detail, but that's an autoimmune attack on the large intestine itself. Crohn's, anywhere in the gastrointestinal tract, from mouth to anus, so that's a very long tract, yeah. um, any autoimmune attack, anywhere along that. Multiple sclerosis. I can never say it. MS. <laughs> Multiple sclerosis. <laughs> Thank you. My dad has MS. Yeah, so you are well-versed in some of that, too. Um, and that's an attack on nerve cells. Mm-hmm. So, again, very much systemic because our nerves are all throughout our body. Type 1 diabetes, an attack on insulin-producing pancreatic cells. So the body isn't able to create insulin, and we have to take it, uh, exogenous insulin, get it from elsewhere because we're not making it. And then Graves' disease. And this is the... Um, where the immune system is producing antibodies that stimulate the thyroid to release excess thyroid hormone. And that's where we see symptoms of hyperthyroid. Um, like I was saying before, eyes bugging out, weight loss, feeling anxious, jittery, go, go, go. You can't calm down. Mm-hmm. So those are only like seven of, of the 85. <laughs> of 85. And there's a longer list that's growing. But those are some pretty common ones. Like we've already said, we both know some people, or I, there's a person in the room who has an autoimmune condition. Right. Um, and this is why I think it's so important to talk about autoimmunity, because it's on the rise, and more people are starting to experience autoimmune conditions and disease. So the American Autoimmune and Related Diseases Association, AARDA, states that 50 million U.S. citizens have an autoimmune disease. That's a lot. It's a lot. I feel like I know a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe because of like the world that we work in, too. Mm-hmm. I tend to like, know a lot more people who are dealing with autoimmune disease right. disorders. Right. Um, and or, or, or are more likely to talk about it in the setting that we are in. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And I'll be curious to hear about some kind of maybe considerations to be looking at in oh, the yeah. gym. So many. Yeah. Because it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so some leading causes or kind of contributing factors to why autoimmune conditions are maybe on the rise a little bit more. We're seeing more and more incidences of them or co-occurring, like comorbid um, autoimmune conditions. So first and foremost, people can have a genetic predisposition to different autoimmune conditions. So it can run in families to some degree. Um, but there are more environmental triggers likely occurring. So higher levels of stress. Stress is hugely tied into autoimmune because remember, an autoimmune condition, even though we always talk about the organ or system tissues that are being affected by that attack, it's an immune system problem. Right. Right? Right. So if our body's getting overburdened, stress is part of that big burden. Foods are also going to be considered an environmental trigger, and I'll talk about the autoimmune paleo protocol, AIP protocol, that a lot of people could use as a tool to help reduce that. And then environmental toxins. So my two examples are always carpets off-gassing, right? Yep. Or walking past a city bus that just like shoots out some big plume of smoke as it's zooming by you. Those are two 
examples of environmental toxins, but the stuff that we're putting on our skin, our, the water that we drink, how our vegetables and foods are being prepared and grown in, right? Chemicals, pesticides, all of these are going to be contributing stressors on the body. Mold and heavy metals are also some environmental triggers, okay? So a lot of going on there. Um, levels of gut permeability or inappropriate gut flora levels can also be a contributing factor. So if our gut is getting off, if we're experiencing some leaky gut symptoms, that's going to likely flare our immune system mm -hmm. because now the body's having to manage more. So it's putting us into kind of a stress state. Um, growing up in an environment that's too sterile, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So people talking about how the farm kids don't have allergies to everything and a kid that was raised in the city is allergic to cats and dogs and dander and mold and whatever else. Right. Um, and then low nutrient diets. So that standard American diet where you're not getting in any vitamin D or you're never outside. Um, low B vitamins, not getting in any minerals. That's going to put your body into a compromised state. Yeah. It's going to have a more difficult time trying to manage what it's trying to manage. Right. Makes sense Which so far? Which is a lot. It's a lot, yeah. So those are some of the leading causes or contributions. Um, if you think so far with everything that you've been hearing, or if you already know you have an autoimmune condition, but you haven't really been managing it, I would see the first step going to see a qualified functional medical doctor who can run testing for things like parasites, heavy metals, toxin exposure, viral infections, then starting to manage stress, which we've also talked about in detail before, right? Yes. Um, and these are going to be a little bit different than some of the more conventional treatments. And conventional treatments can be good, can be really appropriate, and very much life-saving. So I don't want to... Particularly in like an emergency <laughs> moment, so when, when you're newly diagnosed. Right. And you don't have your own strategies, because mm -hmm. I've, I've noticed a lot, I mean, the people in our, I interact with who have autoimmune disorders like tend to have after a certain amount of time their own way of managing their right. symptoms right. but at first like most people say that it requires like some medical intervention because the symptoms have gotten so bad that you're noticing right like and Taj talked about that on our episode with her is that she was to the point where it was like every every day was a struggle and so um you know medical intervention was really necessary mm-hmm especially if someone is getting to that point where it's been untreated or unmanaged before, often they would probably fall into the category of being in an autoimmune flare. And when you're in that flare, you're in that more intensive time, and so you need more intensive care. Right. Um, so more conventional treatments can be things like steroids to help reduce that immune function to keep symptoms at bay. Um, dosing of lost hormones, so like Hashimoto's would be um, something that would fall under that category, so taking a thyroid hormone or like a panel of the different thyroid hormones or type 1 diabetes right you have to be taking insulin that's obviously like yes you, you gotta you gotta do that yeah right so never want to disdain conventional treatment it's life-saving um, but for some autoimmune conditions or I'd say any autoimmune condition at the very least looking at that root cause and that kind of immune system that's going a bit haywire looking at tools to help bring that immune system back into kind of fuller function typically is pretty useful. Mm -hmm. Even you're never going to be able to cure an autoimmune disease, right. but you can help put it into remission. So being yeah. able to feel like you can manage that and bring some remission or at least like wave at remission here yeah. and there or feel like you really know your triggers, 
that can be, I think, very empowering. In addition to reducing any of those other leading causes and triggers, so managing stress, taking out the toxins, um, looking at your environment, blah, 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 would be food. And a big trend that we're seeing is people using the autoimmune paleo or Mm -hmm. just AIP protocol. What have you heard about this protocol before? Oh, well, I followed it myself uh, because it's really similar to hypoallergenic style of eating, except for there might be a little bit, a couple of more flexibility items there, like eggs. Um, There's a a wider variety of nuts that they eat on AIP. But... um, what what I've noticed is that mostly it's like it's like limiting foods that are known inflammatory foods. So mm-hmm. like getting rid of grains, getting rid of sugar, uh, dairy for the most part. Although some people who do AIP will bring it back in in some ways. Like they'll eat like goat's cheese or sheep's cheese or maybe bring back in some so of can, their own. It can depend. So an AIP yeah. protocol, it first starts, starts out as a very extreme, in, very intensive elimination protocol. During this protocol, you're following a strict paleo style of eating. And in addition to that, you're also taking out all nightshades. So yes. peppers, tomatoes, eggplant, um, nuts and seeds, all nuts and seeds, eggs, all dairy, including ghee and butter. Anything with um, cocoa, so chocolate, beans and legumes, which is part of that strict paleo protocol, um, any alternative sweeteners in addition to refined sugar, so right. stevia, um, erythritol, any of those. Even Splenda. like honey and maple syrup at first. So that will be different. So that's going to be more similar to like a um, specific carbohydrate oh, diet. Yeah. So honey and maple syrup can stay in on an AIP protocol. Alcohol comes out. Gums, so guar gum, mm-hmm. locust bean gum, which can be added to different um, compliant foods like coconut milk. That can be a struggle. Yeah. Where someone's like, I love coconut milk, I can have it, and yet I need to find a brand that takes out or doesn't add in gums. Yeah, or make it yourself. <laughs> right. Um, this also, when you're doing the strict AIP protocol, people have to be really cognizant of spices and herbs too. So any oh. seed spices, like caraway seeds or cumin seeds, you take out. Mustard seed. Right because you're taking out nuts and seeds. Um, Any herbs that might be nightshades as well. Mm. So smoked paprika or red pepper flakes or ashwagandha in a supplement. All of those would come out too. Um, Caffeine and coffee, okay? And sometimes if someone has certain considerations, they also might want to be kind of wary of or working on regulating their... um, like the carbohydrates that are coming in where it falls into more of like a specific carbohydrate style of eating because if we're eating carbohydrates and we're having this kind of gut breakdown where we can't fully absorb and utilize those carbs, that can be playing into some of those co-infections or co-symptoms that can be kind of continuing our difficulties with the AIP stuff. So it can be a huge undertaking. Yeah. But because of that... It's a lot of elimination. There can be huge healing too. So people start with a more strict protocol where they're doing this, they're taking all those foods out, they're really eating some simple vegetables, meats, quality fats, right? We also take out refined oils, um, just like we would with any paleo protocol. Um, And then slowly people, once they feel ready or they feel like symptoms are regulated, then they could consider bringing back certain foods. How you do that? 
it's going to take time, mm-hmm. and that can seem overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, typically, even like in the group classes that I've taught, if someone has done an AIP protocol, which they have, I'll have them decide on their top three foods that they're really curious about bringing back in. Let's say you love eggs, and you're so sad that they've been out during elimination. We would have you test egg yolks, see how they feel, then the egg white, and then the whole egg. Um, so all that diet alone, even though it's this big, big chunk, it's not typically going to fix an autoimmune consideration. Right, right. Okay. So if you do... It help you manage it right, day to day. Right. And if you feel like you're someone who you're taking out all these foods and you're getting into a place of restriction and you feel like, I feel better the more and more foods I take out... And then at the end of the day, you're really only having like bone broth and kale and like some chicken. That, again, is really signaling that the body's immune system is still out of whack. And you might actually need some pretty intensive immune support, such as supplementation, that's looking at that balance of our um, Th1 and Th2 um, parts of our immune system, which I've already been talking enough, so we don't need to get into that. But I just want to say, so environmental toxins, diet, Undiagnosed insulin-resistant hypoglycemia can be a factor um, if someone feels like they're at a stumbling block with their autoimmune management. Looking at brain chemistry, brain imbalances, and a history of head trauma can be helpful. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So kind of neurologically, how is your body able to manage its immune function? Looking at um, gut imbalance, such as SIBO, or just having inappropriate gut flora, parasites, viruses, and then those old viral infections, a history of strep. Scarlet fever, Epstein Barr vi- um, Epstein Barr virus, or Lyme disease. Mm. So bring all those up to you, that functional medicine doctor that I know you can find because there are just so many, right? right. They're just so and many. Your insurance just covers the heck out of them. Yeah, it's just like not. Uh, it's a very cheap everything to do, and right. just changing your whole entire diet. It's really easy. It's so easy. <laughs> but these are all the pieces that I want people to consider because it can feel very lonely to have an autoimmune disease, to feel like you're a person who has disease. Um, so just know that there's a lot of hope. There's always options to be playing around with, and that can seem overwhelming. But this is the beauty of the internet because there are some really cool communities. So out there. many cool communities. Yes, like that's the biggest thing I noticed is when I was researching. Just like even for myself, when I was trying to figure out like some symptoms I was having, which are not from an autoimmune disorder, but but that was a very useful community to like check into because. Mm-hmm. There isn't really a great community for people who are like, hey, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is, and I'm trying to manage it through food. <laughs> right. um, and But the autoimmune communities, like, they, that's the community for it. Yeah. So there's so much to look at. Um, let's just, let's just like, even say, let's use this now to talk about it. There's, we'll link to some of these, too. Um, autoimmune wellness is, I think, like, a really nice place to look. It's literally autoimmunewellness.com. Um, they have, like, a blog in there, and they have... They have actual books. ...meal plans, you can buy books, two. yeah. Yep. Um, Against All Grain, or Danielle Walker, who I think we've talked about on the podcast a lot, because she's like one of my favorites. Yep. She she doesn't do as... She, hers is more SCD. Yeah, she but, does more, like, strict paleo or paleo plus dairy, and then definitely yeah. very much grain-free. Yeah, and her first books are really, uh, really, really strict because mm-hmm. she was sick then, um, and since then has been able to reintroduce some things. Do you know what she had? Uh, I think she has Crohn's. Alternative colitis. Oh, so mm-hmm. yeah. So there you go. Yep. Which is a diet where um, some people don't necessarily need to do the whole 
AIP protocol. They right. can do more they, of that. They can have a lot more nuts and Dep- things like that. Depends on the person. Yeah. yeah. But I just want to throw that out there that not every autoimmune condition necessarily needs the AIP protocol. And it depends on where you are with that autoimmune attack as well. Yeah. That's a great way to start. Yes. Um, and then do you have any favorites? Um, well, I actually think, so for anyone who's local to Minneapolis-St. Paul Twin Cities, there's a Facebook group called the Minneapolis-St. Paul Autoimmune Paleo Group, and there are like 600 people in there, and there are some people who are brand new to autoimmune conditions, um, people who are very well-versed or who work kind of as, not even as practitioners, but um, as coaches. So they have meetups often at like Foxy Falafel, so that can be a really cool community that you could tap into right now if you're yeah. local. Um, I think they usually meet at the beginning of the month. So there might be one coming up when you hear this episode. Those guys are biggies. Um, Grazed and Enthused. Yes, Grazed and Enthused is great. Mm-hmm. The only thing, though, she's, like, not, doesn't always, um, like to go to the gym. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes she talks about fitness in a weird way. Oh, kind of complaining about that other side. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, yeah, food-wise, she's great. Yeah. Um, healthful Pursuit. Yep, and that's going to be a, a strict keto, ketogenic website. Um, and she, yeah, Leanne Vogel has had to be very um, considerate of nuts and seeds yeah. and dairy. And so yeah. she has a lot of options. She has a ton of AIP. recipes that have, like, no dairy, no eggs, no nuts and seeds, which yep. is great. Yep. I'm like, oh, that fits a lot of categories for a lot of people. AIP could fit, you know, SCD could fit, sort of fit whatever. Yep. Um, the Paleo Mom is a huge resource because the Paleo Mom, Sarah Ballantyne, and she has her own book. She has a new book that just came out, like, in the last two weeks, and it's like a tome. It's huge. I really want to get it. It's well-researched. She is a scientist, and she's a researcher, so her website has a ton of really great quality information. She has a, also has a podcast. It's called The Paleo View with Stacey Toth and Sarah Ballantyne. They have lots of episodes. Um she's cool she speaks she has her own opinion and i love that she has some episodes or recently with the paleo community she's kind of spoken out against keto which is really really cool we're talking about the importance of carbohydrates which is true there's a need for carbohydrates so um she's a huge research uh researcher and resource if you're really into trying to figure out more of the science behind the whys why do you take out nightshades why do we care about legumes what's going on she's cool just go to her website, Paleo Mom. That's great. Um, and then the last one I would say is Stupid Easy Paleo, which is just a great place to get quick um, recipes. And she has a great Instagram account with, with like, simple videos that you can watch that are super short that are, like, how to roast uh, chicken in, like, 25 minutes. And yeah. it just kind of pops you through it. So there's a lot to look at out there. And once the thing about looking at some of these blogs or, like, looking at some of these Instagrams is that as soon as you start – you'll notice like 10 other ones that you want to follow. And then the next thing you know, you have like a whole digital community that you can be part of. Yes. And you're not so alone. One other, one other person who's local who uh, we've talked about before, I talked about with a guest a few episodes ago, Amy Gautier. Um, we talked about Stephanie Meyer, who's local, and her website is Fresh Tart Steph. Um, and she... Not the same Stephanie Meyer who wrote Twilight. No, (laughs) nope. And I know that she has to deal with a lot of people. (laughs) Ask me that, especially on like Instagram and social media. Nope, not the same Stephanie Meyer, our local Stephanie Meyer. (laughs) She teaches, I think she's a food coach as well. Um, And she has a whole meal plan that is AIP um, compliant. 
it doesn't have to be AIP, but it very much can be. Um, and that's called Project Vibrancy Meals. And she just released that a couple months ago. Awesome. So that's like a huge resource, definitely for local people, but really for anyone. So you could go to her website to learn more about that too. Look at all those resources we got going on, yeah. No, you're not alone. If you have an autoimmune condition, you are so not alone. Yes. Because the numbers are rising. Isn't yes. that cute? <laughs> right. And so many people need like want wanted resources, needed resources, so they made them themselves. And yep. here we go. Yep. And uh, speaking of resources, there's also plenty of resources available for you if you're like trying to figure out how you can, you know, continue your fitness journey or start a new fitness journey um and you have an autoimmune disorder so like i just want to recommend um there's a great article on marksdailyapple.com which talks about exercising and autoimmune conditions and specifically talks about different considerations for people who have rheumatoid arthritis multiple sclerosis and crohn's disease which i thought was cool Mm. um that he actually like specified those things so what you'll find, I think, when you, if you do your own research and you're looking at your specific autoimmune condition is that a lot of, I mean, every autoimmune condition is different. Every person who has an autoimmune condition is different. But there's a lot of threads that kind of go throughout um, all of the scientific research around exercise and autoimmune di- conditions. The first is that um, you can definitely work out you can train too hard when you have autoimmune disorders for sure so uh because of the characterization of chronic inflammation because of the fact that autoimmunity is hand in hand with chronic inflammation anything that increases that inflammatory load like too much stress or um too much exercise Mm -hmm. can contribute to it so if you're somebody um who is maybe normally exercising seven days a week and you get diagnosed with an autoimmune condition like, the first step I would take is to pull it back. Way back. And start thinking about more, like, two days a week to start. And then after that, if that feels pretty good for, like, six weeks, try three days a week. Because just, like, food, I think exercise, exercise, like, and movement needs to be nourishing. Yeah. You can't be beating yourself up if the body is, like, shrieking at right. you. Especially I can't when you're it. sick. Like, yeah. when you're in a flare. Yes. When you are newly diagnosed. When you don't have a your head wrapped around what's going on like you are probably going to have to step away from some of that um physical activity to begin with uh that doesn't mean that you can never exercise again it just means that at first you have to be mindful of of reducing the inflammatory load in general in your body and part of that is going to be reducing the amount of exercise that you're getting especially if you're getting a lot to begin with um, and, and also if exercising stresses you out yeah. and if the idea of exercising and making sure you fulfill a certain idea of how, how you're exercising, if that stresses you out, that's not going to help. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, there are tons of studies that have been done that demonstrate that there's a clear connection between exercising and improved conditions right. with autoimmune disorders. So you don't want to give up on it completely, but when you're first in your flare, you need to pull back. And then as you kind of, like, adjust and figure out what this new lifestyle is going to be, then you can start reintroducing different types of fitness and seeing what feels the best and what allows you to flourish the mm-hmm. most. Um, so one of the reasons that autoimmune disorders, like, people are recommended to have exercise with them is because of endorphins. Um, 
like obviously we know of endorphins as the things that kind of make you feel like the best ever it's like the endorphin rush right yeah. after a tough workout yeah but it also helps with your immunity there's a there's a connection between your immune function and having endorphins in your body which is partly why like i i mean just from anecdotal experience you can think about like times when you are low stress or sad like you're more likely to feel sick or get sick during that time your your immunity is lower so you can help raise your immunity or, or sort of boost it by increasing the amount of endorphins that you get into your system. Um, and like obviously there's also ways you can supplement those through medicine, but you know there's no harm in getting more endorphins from exercise as well and maybe even using those in partnership or in replacement of some of those other other elements. And I would, I would throw in too, just um, maybe you're going to touch on this, but especially, it's, I mean, it's Minnesota and obviously we're like inside more and more, but if exercising means that you're getting outside more and you're getting more of that like nature therapy, yeah. more vitamin, vitamin D, D yeah. oh my gosh, that the vitamin D connection and autoimmunity is absolutely huge. I mean, yeah. a lot of research there. Yeah. There's also a lot of uh, research done on specifically like rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis have and and Crohn's as well have like a huge library of research just because they've been around longer there's more research and more people are specifically targeted like suffering from those things Mm -hmm. um and all sort of colitis as well uh but a lot some of the symptoms that come along with something like rheumatoid arthritis can be like muscle wasting and so including exercise and and same with multiple sclerosis um including exercise can actually become like a vital part of your ability to continue thriving as a person it's not just for like oh it'll make you feel better like it will help you it helps your system av- yeah it'll help you <laughs> avoid some of those um conditions that come along with that chronic inflammation especially in particular with rheumatoid arthritis because it's attacking tendon tissue and that tendon tissue you can actually like delay some of that uh, degradation and even reinforce some of your tendon tissue by exercising, which I think is really cool. There's a good, I'll link to a study that um, it's literally just called Benefits of Exercise in Rheumatoid Arthritis. That's perfect. Uh, Clear yeah. and to the point. Exactly. Um, um, Dr. Terry Walls, who has yes, MS, yes. she's a wonderful research. She has her own um, um, dietary protocol called the Walls Protocol, uh, which is similar to AIP, very similar to strict paleo, but different. In its own right, too. Um, and she has interesting things to say about exercise because she yeah. went from that tilt recline wheelchair yep. to biking in a year when she focused on diet and nutrition yeah. and environmental considerations. But she's she, fascinating. I saw her speak at Paleo FX in like 2012. Yeah. And she's a very interesting person. She's awesome. Yeah. She's really, her whole family is really cool. Her kids are neat. Um, and she has some stuff to say about Easton. Oh, yeah. 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 That's that is really interesting. So that's be something to look into. There's yeah. lots of places you can get E-STEM done. done. Uh, like a lot of chiropractors will have E-STEM or even acupuncturists um, will have it. And it's pretty affordable. You can buy your own machine if you want. And really like you can. hook yourself up yeah. to that. So something to, in addition to think about. E-STEM is also great for recovery if you're somebody who is, I mean, in general, but if you're somebody who's really struggling with, like, muscle recovery, tendon recovery, or your joints are achy, um, and you already know that you have some constant inflammation, then E-STEM can be a great way to help manage some of that. Uh, Okay, so, like, based on that, we know, okay, people with autoimmune disorders should exercise, but then it's kind of like, well, how? 
the <laughs> exercise. And there's lots of different varieties. And depending on, like, who you are, what age you are, what stage you are in your in your disease. Like, if you have MS and you've had MS for 40 years and you're, and, and you're pretty far along, you've progressed pretty far, then obviously jumping right into, like, a heavy lifting routine is probably not going to be your best Ow. choice. <laughs> no. Right. But eventually it could be something sure. that you would do. Um, most... The places I've looked at recommend starting off with something like yoga. If you're like, especially if you've had more trouble for a long time mm-hmm. um, or you're currently like in a flare, mm-hmm. doing something like yoga or Tai Chi or um, something that's like walking. Uh, when you first start or coming back, uh, I read this blog. Um, now I can't remember the name of it, but when I was researching through everything, this woman just wrote about her own personal journey and how she was having trouble, like, even getting out of bed when she was first diagnosed. And she started just trying to get onto the floor and doing 10 minutes of, like, floor yoga poses per day. So, like, really gentle, like, laying on her back, squeezing her knee into her chest. And then eventually she was able to work her way up to standing poses. And then eventually she was able to add in a couple of days a week where she would go for long walks. And now she walks every day and is able to do, like, yoga and has started um, doing some other, like, light lifting things as well. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it might seem slow, maybe compared to, like, your neighbor who just jumped right into CrossFit and was able to do it. But, um, you know. But it might not be remem- slow yeah. for your body. Yeah, remembering that your body needs this kind of. It needs nurturing. Nurturing, yeah. exactly. And consideration. Yeah. Um, so that being said, there are studies have, that, have, that have been done that demonstrate that both high-intensity and endurance-type exercises have really strong beneficial effects on uh, a lot of different autoimmune disorders. So, like, high-intensity fitness like CrossFit yeah. actually can contribute, yeah. um, which was just sort of counterintuitive if you think about it because a lot of people associate heavy lifting or, like, high-intensity um weighted elements as being potentially damaging to their joints because that's what we were taught in like the 1950s Mm -hmm. it's never left our bodies our minds but um actually that it has the opposite effect it can actually help you uh you know reintroduce some like growth hormones into your body um and yeah like there another article that i read that was talking specifically about, like, multiple sclerosis, uh, found that both uh, endurance exercising as well as resistance training, so, like, weightlifting, um, together is better than either one alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, that they all they both have a, di- a distinct effect on a person's ability to function. So there is, there is there are options. There are lots of different types of fitness that you can do. There's no one specific thing that you have to do. Um, but all of it is open to you. And I think that's really normalizing, yeah. too. Again, when someone is feeling um, in victim mode, it can be like, oh, I, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's more of, all right, what can I do? And what will that be building towards so I can do more and more? Yeah, exactly. And if you go on to that MarksDailyApple.com um, article, it's literally called How to Exercise with an Autoimmune Condition. There are three listed here rheumatoid arthritis ms and crohn's disease and he goes through like the different uh studies that have been done oh and he also talks about diabetes um the different studies that have been done and what they say about how to exercise with those things so you can go through and like really look through all of that um 
he does talk about how grave and gra- like people with graves disease might actually be more likely to get rhabdo mm-hmm. so if you are somebody who's considering crossfit and you have graves disease like you might want to not do crossfit first and maybe focus on something that's a little bit less high intensity and see how that feels before you were to jump into something that's a higher intensity. Can you tell people what rhabdo is? Oh, sure. It's rhabdomyolysis means rapid muscle breakdown. Uh, It's something that is frequently associated with high intensity fitness. Um, So like CrossFit, maybe uh, football practices, uh, things where people are like working out at a high intensity for a long period of time and are a lot, like it's also associated with with dehydration. Mm. Um, So and, and heat. So, like, there's kind of the perfect storm usually for people to get it. And when you get it, your muscle starts to break down rapidly. Like, very rapidly. Very rapidly, yeah. yeah. You get, like, very intense swelling. Intense swelling. I'm talking, like, big, crazy-looking swelling. Yeah. Um, Not and the then, good kind of swole. No, and you have to go to the hospital because you have to be treated with fluids. Yeah. Uh, that is something people do, can definitely come back from. But it's... It's a consideration if you have graves. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go in, do CrossFit, just be really careful about that. Um, yeah, so the main point is that you're not doomed if you have an autoimmune condition. You're not doomed to not being able to work out anymore. And in fact, like it might open you up to a different experience because now you're being paying more attention to your body, you're more in tune with what you need, and suddenly... You try something out, and you like it, and then you do it more, and suddenly you have an exercise routine that you didn't have before now that you've been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or whatever it is. I think that can be kind of the grace or, like, the silver lining, um, the positive, if you will, side of having an autoimmune disease is that all of a sudden you're forced to be in tune with your body because if you aren't it's going to progress that much more quickly or your quality of life is really just not there anymore yeah um and again that victim mode thing can be really tough but if you kind of treat this as like oh man my body is telling me a lot of stuff and now here's my opportunity to really listen there can be so much healing and growth that comes from that yeah really cool i feel like the thing that i've experienced with with my clients who have um, autoimmune conditions is that like the, they've taught me to be more considerate about what my goals are and what goals I set for other people mm. uh, because just the perspective your perspective totally shifts when your body no longer cooperates you start to see exercise and food as a way to feel healthy and joyful rather than as a way to punish yourself which so frequently people fall into that mindset I've fallen into that mindset I think for the last I think for five years I was in that mindset yeah um and only the last couple years have I sort of like slowly dug my way out of that trench but the people I've worked with who have autoimmune disorders that that are doing crossfit or doing weightlifting and are taking care of themselves and being awesome all the time like what I see is that they do what feels right uh if they feel kind of crappy one day they take it back a little bit if they feel good they maybe push it a little bit further they come in as frequently as they you know as they feel comfortable with and their goals are like feel good (laughs) and that's like why else what other goal could you possibly have that's like such a great uh show and tell (laughs) for everyone else (laughs) exactly it's such a great reminder that we're not doing this to achieve some sort of gold medal we're doing it Mm -hmm. to have a 
a life that feels like we're thriving and you know to be able to be available for the people who we want to be available for and for ourselves mm-hmm. so well, there's some powerful stuff in yeah, there I think so yeah. I mean it it's, sucks to have an autoimmune condition there's a lot of pain that comes with it mm-hmm. um, and at the same time people who have autoimmune conditions have shown a lot of us I think that like food and and uh, exercise can be very therapeutic mm-hmm. and also that you can live your life with intention and still find joy in it and meaning even if you are dealing with pain right totally pretty cool stuff yeah pretty oh. dope <laughs> shout out to all my friends with autoimmune conditions <laughs> you all rock everyone rocks yeah. pd's tongue right now really rocks yeah he's sleeping up a storm on hannah's coat on yeah pd has a condition called chronic cute oh chronic cute oh. he manages it well yeah by wearing sweatshirts <laughs> yeah he knows he yeah. knows what to do <laughs> um in case y'all were curious pd dressed as a pumpkin for halloween oh good job pd apparently it's the most common dog outfit Oh. Which I'm not surprised. Yeah. I tried sense. to dress him like an Ewok. It didn't fit. And he was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. It was too small. Yeah. <laughs> well. Bad. Um, well, this has been fantastic. Lovely episode. We have so many links to link to. We have lots of links. So we'll, we'll give you all that information. And if you haven't yet explored this world, then boy, are you in for a treat. And even just to be more informed, let's say you don't have an autoimmune condition, but you likely know a person or two or three or 10 or 20 who do, look into it so yeah. that you know what's up. Because just like yes. Hannah was saying, they're likely navigating life in different ways because they have to in order to manage and feel okay. And that um, is really supportive and I think shows a, a, a really cool allyship if you're yeah. knowledgeable about that. And you can be cool and like make food for your friends that they can actually eat. Yeah, right? Yeah, if you're like, oh, what is this? Let me just Google a recipe, AIP recipe, for my friend who I'm having for dinner. Like, boom, there you go. Yep, done. 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 I made some, by the way, I made some tasty pumpkin fudge. Yum. That is AIP. How it sounds very seasonally appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although, I guess it's not his cashew butter, so it's SCD it's more than AIP. specific carbohydrate compliant. Um, and paleo compliant. And paleo. But it was very good. Yum. Yeah. Oh, man. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll link to the recipe. Sure. Throw it yeah. in the show notes. It's there. from Big Man's World, which I'm obsessed with that okay. page. Yeah. <laughs> Add it in. Okay, cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this app. Thanks uh, so much. Next week, we'll be back with an interview. Yes. So we have a very special guest coming on, and you should listen to that. And as always, thank you to Taj Ruler, who is that silver lining for all of us. Oh, every day. Taji. And every week. Thank you, Taj. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much and we'll see you next time on You Have a Body Podcast. Bye. The You Have a Body Podcast is produced by me, Taj Ruler. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit noisepicnic.com for full episode information. Join in on the conversation at facebook.com slash you have a body podcast. Tweet at us at you have a body or find us on Instagram at you have a body podcast. Let us know what's going on with you, because guess what? You have a body.